Sunny's stories are fictional accounts of murder and other crimes in various settings in San Diego and Orange County, California. They are told for the entertainment of listeners. All names and the places chosen are coincidental to any persons living or dead that may have lived or worked in the areas described in the stories. Most of my stories can be listened to in one setting or a brief walk. Having lived in both areas, it was fun developing these mostly fi fictional accounts of the characters and settings created. The title of this book is Murder in Mexican Waters. Prologue. Those living in the beautiful city of, of San Diego probably aren't aware of some of its history. The San Diego River is now a channeled east to west river coming from the mountains through Mission Valley, then emptying into the Pacific Ocean across from a common rock jetty bordering the entrance to Mission Bay. In reality, the river used to turn left at what is now Old Town, then empty into today's San Diego Bay. The international airport called Lindbergh Field was constructed upon the portion of landfill created from dredging the San Diego Bay. Harbor Island parallels Lindbergh Field and is a man-made peninsula made from further dredging of the bay long after the airport was built. Earlier dredging enabled filling in a large portion of Coronado Island across the bay from, San, from the city of San Diego. Further improvements ultimately made Coronado a true peninsula by the long finger of land called the Silver Strand. Navy SEALs have had their training headquarters just south of Coronado along the Silver Strand for many years. Inspired by Lindbergh's flight and excited to have made his plane in that city, San Diego passed a bond issue in 1928 for the construction of a two-runway municipal airport. Lindbergh encouraged the building of the airport and agreed to lend his name to it. Lindbergh made trial flights of his plane, the Spirit of St. Louis, constru constructed near today's airport, by taking the plane to an area where flat land existed at the time. Today, that area is near Midway Drive and Rosecrans Street. Further dredging enabled filling in land along the shoreline of San Diego Bay. At one point, the shoreline began at the street named Kettner. The fill created more land between Kettner and the existing Harbor Drive. As a result, the railroad tracks entering the current station were laid and the Pacific Coast Highway was built as a major entrance to the city parallel to those railroad tracks. The original San Diego Padres was the name of a minor league baseball team of the defunct Pacific Coast League. They played their home games at the now demolished Lane Field, three long blocks south of Civic Center at the intersection of Broadway and Harbor Drive. A small marker on the sidewalk in the area of the old home plate commemorates the baseball field. Chapter 1 Murder is not uncommon in major cities, some more so than others. 
violence has a way of raising its ugly head. The motivation for the ultimate crime has a range of possible motives. The San Diego Police Department robbery homicide detectives came to the motel near the Civic Center along Pacific Coast Highway they remembered. They had been there before. An earlier event brought them to the location for the same reason. Someone was dead, murdered. Most clients of the motel during the week were from out of town, about to conduct business at the Civic Center or elsewhere in town. It was close and cheap compared to the classy, iconic hotels a mile away in downtown San Diego. Two deaths in a period of two weeks may have been coincidental, but the means were the same. One gunshot to the head of the victim lying completely under the covers of the bed. Blood had vacated the head area into the mattress, the victim always in a state of undress with only underwear on. No other visible means of damage to the body was found on either victim. Both were men from out of the area. Forensic teams did their standard vacuum of the bedding and floor, seeking hair or other things not belonging to the victim. DNA evidence did not exist. No evidence of forced entry existed. Nothing of value was found by the forensic teams both times. Both cases were a true mystery to the detectives. Learning the names of the deceased and the purpose for being in San Diego directed them to a business purpose at the Civic Center. It was a dead end. The victims arrived in town but never made their appointments across the Pacific Coast Highway at the Civic Center if they had any. Both had, both had Italian food in their stomachs, implying that nearby Little Italy may have been choice for a dinner location. Lay work by detective teams pinpointed the same restaurant for both victims. Felipe's on India Street was a popular choice of the living and those two were murdered. The fact they may have eaten there gave no clue as to the reason for their death. Looking into the restaurant receipts, the victims always charged their meals and obviously didn't eat alone. Two dinners and wine were paid on the same tab each time. Security camera footage gave detectives an, an idea of the person who ate dinner with both victims. He looked identical in both in films, but his identity remained unknown. The detectives were too late to get any fingerprints of the common dinner guest or DNA. They greeted no one else in the restaurant, but seemed to be friends based upon the wine deliveries before, during, and after dinner. Chapter 2 the hotel manager offered no security footage, only the main desk where the victims checked in, always alone. Both rooms were nearest the elevator and the old motel was previously remodeled to give tenants an almost soundproof environment. Thus, a gunshot wasn't heard or loud talking for that matter. Back at Felipe's, the parking lot attendant was back on duty. His Tuesday to Sunday nights was a job he did well. Parking was strictly for patrons. 
During busy times, people sometimes formed a line of cars waiting to be waved into the company parking lot. The attendant didn't park cars. He actually just motioned drivers when to enter the parking lot. He was a unique character. He had always lived in the area, had even gone to the nearby Washington Elementary School on State Street years, away, years ago. It's two blocks from the restaurant. He went to Sunday Mass at the church a block from the school. He was 52 years old. This was his job, his sole livelihood. Detectives questioned him about the pair they had seen on the security footage and showed it to him too. Looking closely at the footage, he said, oh yes, Blue Camry 2014, license number, uh, he paused, then added, SAN 456. They came during happy hour, but stayed past prime time. Then they left together. Tom Johnson was the lead detective on the case. When he and his partner, Ed Hatta, got back to their car, they did a quick records check. The blue Camry with that license did exist, but it was a 2015. Amazed at the attendant's ID of the car, they went back to him. Hatta said they forgot to ask if he remembered anything else. Thinking for a second, the attendant said, Oh yes, one of the men, the driver, has been here before several times. His last visit was between 4.30 and 10.30 p.m., and each time before that also. Then he gave the dates and times of other visits, one corresponding to the first murder at the motel. He added, he's always the driver, early to arrive with another person dressed in a blue sport coat and, uh, let's see, uh, oh yeah, gray slacks and Ferragamo shoes. Except for the shoes, I would guess he could be a detective like you guys. Then he laughed at his own joke. Anything else, Johnson said? Usually uh, Wednesday night, but only with men joining him. By the way, they aren't gay. I know when I see a gay pair. Well, how do you know that? Hatta asked. The gay men are much better looking. The driver is a rough looking guy, but he comes from a little money. His dinner friends are like tourists looking at the Little Italy sign, checking out my corner of the world. Chapter 3 Hatta and Johnson left Little Italy in the parking attendant that either had a photographic memory or IQ way above their pay grade, to say the least. They did a curious record check on him and found he lived in an apartment nearby on Columbia Street. He wasn't married. He was so bright, but had some hang-ups. They tried to give him one of their cards, but when offered, he looked at it and said, Thanks anyway, I'll remember Detective Hatta. No doubt he could. Arriving on Fort Stockton Drive in Mission Hills, they knocked on the door of the bungalow with the Camry in the driveway. The man, the remarkable parking lot attendant had identified, came to the door. It was Friday night, 10 nights after the latest murder. At the door, the guy gave the impression two Jehovah Witnesses were intruding. The detective's white shirts misled the guy. What do you want? His voice was gruff. 
a very mean sounding tenor to it, but lots of volume from the Padre game on television in the background. With badges in hand, the detectives promptly held them up for him to see, along with IDs that named Johnson and Hatta. Johnson spoke first, the good guy. Thanks for coming to the door. We're sorry to bother you, but we need to talk with you now on a matter we're investigating. His tone dripped with milk and honey. Are you Frank Dorma? An answer they already knew. It was him. Five nine, looked Greek, black hair, heavy eyebrows, but chubby. Dorma said, I'm in the middle of something. Come to my office Monday. Then, then he tried to close the door. Hatta stopped it with his foot and said as the bad guy sounding detective, talk with us now or downtown tonight. Dormer was upset and said, okay, but make it quick. The game is tied and in an extra innings. Can we come in? Yeah, I guess. Now what do you want? Where were you Wednesday night a week ago? At dinner with an associate. Where did you eat? Uh, Felipe's on India Street. Who's the person you were with? A business associate. I told you once. What's his name? A big cheer in the background got Dorma's attention and he looked toward the TV just in time to see the walk-off home, home run win the game for the Padres. Now smiling, Dorma almost visibly changed his attitude. He looked pleasant when he reached over to turn off the TV. He said, okay, guys, what do you want to know? And a stern voice had us said, I repeat, what is the business associate's name? The response came and it gave them the name of the deceased. With the answer heard, Johnson had his cuffs out, walked behind Dorma, and clicked them closed. Mr. Dorma, you are under arrest. Suspicion of murder.